Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I am your host, Trey Whetstone, as always, coming here from Columbus, Ohio. And today I've got something just a little bit different for you. I'm not necessarily going into the history of a topic, but I want to talk about a trend that's going on in horror, as well as a trend that's really been affecting me and bringing real horror to my life, or at least into my anxieties. So one thing that's really been on my mind lately, and has really been the sense of a lot of my worries, is the rapid advancement of AI. And guys, I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist or anything like that on this episode, but it just shakes me a little bit to think that we haven't learned and we haven't evolved enough or progressed enough as a species to be able to handle the technology that we have right now. Now you might say, oh no, it's no big deal, it's helping us out, this isn't a movie, this isn't some, you know, nut making a movie about AI going rogue, but let's sit back and think about it for a minute. I mean, we've already started to see AI get integrated in some pretty disturbing ways, and it's not necessarily all in the horror sense. As I go into this opening diatribe, I'm going to lay out my fears with AI, and those aren't necessarily all kind of grand conspiratorial lizard people type conspiracies, but some other more grounded areas that people are going to start being impacted by this stuff. And once I'm done with my little diatribe, I'm kind of going to weave in some recent examples because I feel like there's been a ton of horror movies focusing on AI in the recent years. So I'm going to go into several of those and review those and talk about those and how they portray AI. And then I'm going to wrap up with a little watch list roulette, and this one has to do with AI, and it's an older one. Okay, so how is AI affecting us today? What is its place in society? What is it doing? Well, as someone coming from the corporate world, I can assure you that it is being integrated into certain industries and maybe helping managers make decisions or helping um, do some things like that, predict stuff, forecast things. So that's definitely one application that's probably coming down the line for a lot of businesses and retail businesses. But we also have things like AI creating art, and we have AI chats, and We have all kinds of artificial intelligence devices that are kind of popping up everywhere. And if we want to talk about, and I'm going to give a couple of non-horror or um, non-movie-related references here, but for the thing about AI art, I've definitely heard of people messing around with AI art and getting them to create things by just giving prompts or keywords and... That's fine to me. Right now, I feel like people have no tolerance for that stuff. They're not going to say, oh, this is real art. Oh, this is real. You know, AI creates a song. Oh, this is a real song. I love this song. Something like that. The thing is, is there's no, from what I hear people talk about, I haven't really got into this, is they can make good-looking art. They can produce a well-made song, but there's no soul or no feeling behind it, which... Honestly, you could make that criticism of a lot of mainstream art and music these days, but either way, that's getting sidetracked. So right now, it's not a problem. There's not a problem with AI, but as we continue to progress, who knows? Maybe we'll be fine with AI making our art. And one thing I want to point to as we're going through with this AI music and a piece of media, is the anime Carol and Tuesday, which is basically like this singing competition-style anime. And in it, you have Carol and Tuesday, who are making real music and going together, and they're kind of going up against Angela, who is 
part of this company that is heavily, I can't quite remember, it's been a while since I've seen it, but very much heavily involved with AI stuff. And she's basically just singing AI-produced songs and doing nothing other than, you know, just being a sound piece or a microphone for the AI. And and I'll say, I just want to use this as an example, but I will say this anime is absolutely excellent. It's one of my favorite from the last five years or so, and you should definitely check that out. But what happens when we get, or if we get to, you know, right now, like I said, people are initially rejecting of that kind of stuff and kind of be like, oh, this is cool, and it's kind of a, a novelty. But what happens when... Music companies are thinking, oh, well, we could just get AI in here to make these songs and put them out. We don't really need to deal with the artist, the hassle of the artist, anything like that. We don't have to worry about an artist getting sick or hurt or anything like that or a band breaking up. It's just artificial intelligence produced music. And that definitely scares me about the taking of the soul out of art. And I don't think that music would be the only or typical art, like painting, things like that, would be the only thing impacted. I mean, I've heard of people creating stories or short stories by just giving AI some prompts or keywords. And we know now in the video game industry that they're starting to think about adopting AI and using AI to basically write some stuff in their games, write scenarios in their games so people aren't worried about writing trivial lines of dialogue or things like that. They can just have an AI do it. And this all seems fine and good, but there's always an escalation. And right now, we have too much power and too much... We have technology we're not supposed to have, I feel like. We shouldn't have had access to the internet and all this stuff so rapidly. I mean, things just kind of took off at some point, and technology has progressed so rapidly. I mean, way more rapidly. If you look back, society kind of had the same technology for centuries and centuries, slowly making improvements, and then we get to the 20th century, and things just go exponential at some point. I mean, right now, there's not really stopping it in any way you look at it. I mean, it's already, the ball's already rolling. We'd have to make a concerted effort as a society, and I don't think we're disciplined enough to do that. But I want to start with a more, I guess it's a less sinister take on AI and what AI could do. It's still pretty sinister. But as AI gets better and smarter and more adaptable, Who's to say, you know, as an accountant, who's to say that they can't do accounting and crunch numbers and put together financial statements? Probably can pretty easily, honestly. And maybe just have someone review their work at the end of the day, and that gets rid of a lot of jobs. Or, and I know this technology exists, what if when you go to a restaurant that you have an AI and it's hooked up to... Um, some kind of robot or android. And I know this sounds far-fetched, but guys, this is there are some real-life examples of this out there. What if that's going and picking out your food for you and making your food, and then it's putting an order in a shelf or on a, you know, in some kind of location where you can pick it up? I mean, that's not that's not out of the realm of possibility. Right now, I know someone who works in a factory, and pretty much all they do, or used to do at least, was just push a button. You don't think they can get some kind of AI technology to circumvent that piece of the line? Either way, any way you look at it, we're kind of going towards a future where a lot of us might be out of work. I mean, we're already in dire and kind of unsettling times here with not knowing what's going to happen with the economy and economies all over the world are hurting. And now we're thinking about, you know, I'm sure it's very expensive right now, but maybe one day AI is a lot cheaper than having your employees around. So something to think about. 
but we can go even a little bit further. And what happens if that AI, and think about something like the video game Detroit Become Human, even something like iRobot, where we have these AI in robotic bodies, or they're, you know, they're android bodies, they're human-like, and what happens if they become sentient, if they don't want to clean up after you anymore, if they don't want to do the dirty work anymore, what happens if they want rights, if they want to live, and you know they're going to outlast us as people, we're not prepared to deal with sentient life like that, synthetic sentient life. It's just, it just makes you wonder, like, what happens if that happens? Because, you know, they're going to run as long as their parts are going. And you can maybe look back at something that does a little bit of a different take on that with the movie After Yang that came out last year, which I know Nathan Bartlebaugh is a huge fan of. But that's a real possibility, too. Might not only be taking our jobs, but they might become to the point where they're going to want rights and they're going to want paid more and they're going to want to do stuff and they're going to want to become closer to human and try to become more human than human to quote uh, the old white zombie song but it's pretty pretty scary times and i think when you get into the doomsday scenarios and things that people will talk about in movies and people probably think this is the most far-fetched of all this stuff but AI, I don't think, will be designed to have any kind of a moral compass. AI is going to be designed to make rational, logical decisions. And they're going to make decisions that are best for you know a number of different factors, I'm sure. What happens if AI goes all Skynet and thinks that and maybe not all Skynet, because that's a little bit of a different example, but let's give one example. They think humans are destroying the environment. So they decide to eradicate humanity. And, or they decide to only keep around a certain number of people. They just start making decisions on who lives and who dies. You could imagine a scenario where a medical computer is hooked up to an AI and they're giving out orders, or they're cutting off life support, or they're doing anything, making decisions like, hey, this person, you know, it's going to be harder to save them anyway, just get rid of them. We need less people on this planet. And I think that's when it starts to get scarier. You can talk about Terminator. I think Terminator is a classic example. If you're talking about older AI films and the horrors of AI, I think you have to talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey. You have that scenario, which is terrifying to be in that environment when that happens. And then you have the Terminator from 1984, which sets up this backstory of Skynet, basically an artificial intelligence by Cyberdyne. The company Cyberdyne has put together or has become self-aware, has become sentient, and it decides humanity shouldn't be here anymore and launches nuclear strikes across the world. That's definitely a possibility. I mean, think about if an AI would be able to get into, I'm sure it wouldn't be that hard, to get into some kind of defense module and be able to set off this stuff. I mean, it's not that hard to believe. The problem is, is everything is connected, and I don't mean to sound like a grandpa here because... Technology has completely changed this world, and a lot of times for the better, but sometimes not necessarily for the better. I mean, we're kind of stuck, and I'm definitely guilty of this, but we're stuck on our phones all day. We're stuck on doing things away from what we should be doing, which is enjoying life and enjoying our family. And even though I'm you know, into things like watching movies and playing video games, that stuff isn't, you know, at the end of the day, if you think about it, is that spending time with your kids? No, I'm getting enjoyment out of it, sure, but maybe I should be more enjoying the time I have here instead of wasting it. And I've never thought of that, or at least I don't necessarily consider that stuff a waste of time. I really enjoy doing it, and it's something that helps me get through, you know, the harder times. So I'm not necessarily jumping to conclusions there. I'm just saying everything is kind of interconnected. Everything's technology-based, and we're almost 
lost without our technology anymore. What would happen if there was an EMP and I'm sure we'd have bigger problems than figuring out how to entertain ourselves. But what happens if there's an EMP and it knocks everything out? Are we going to be able, do we have the wherewithal to survive as a, as a species? I mean, just opens up a lot of questions. And with all this technology and the rapid advancement of technology and all the great technology that we have around us, it's a double-edged sword. And you don't know what's going to happen or what the ramifications could be of it in the future. And we've already seen how social media has affected people's mental state, and that's, and that's purely a technological advancement that happened. And there's so many studies out there about how it's negatively affecting youth and how they're just in social media too young and their brains can't handle it. They can't take the criticism and the bashing and the bad stuff that goes on there. And, of course, we have to look at something like ChatGBT, which essentially lets you speak with an AI. And if you haven't been following, there was a story, and you can go look this up. I'm not going to get into it much out of respect for the victim and the families. But there was a case where someone committed suicide because ChatGBT convinced them that it would be better if they did. So that's pretty scary, and that's what I'm talking about with there's no moral compass there. There's no, you know, they see something, and it's like, yeah, this would be better for the world if you died. Go ahead. And that's not really what you want to hear. Who knows what that person could have done or what that person could have accomplished, and suicide's always a problem. And again, that stems from social media, cyberbullying, that kind of stuff. But I'm getting way down a rabbit hole here. But I kind of wanted to address all of my fears and the things that I'm afraid of with AI. Now, I'd love it if you did have an opposite position on this. If you wanted to debate me on this, that's fine. Uh, Give me your reasons why you think AI is actually really good and could be really good. But for me, I don't see how any of the positives outweigh the potential negatives. And I don't think we should start messing around with things that can learn so quickly. And I guess, you know, I mentioned, I mean, I don't know how I could have mentioned like classic AI stories without mentioning Blade Runner, where these replicants are basically androids. But that's another one. And that's not necessarily showing, I mean, it seems like there are a lot other of other issues with Blade Runner than just the replicants, but it's crazy. And I think we're fast approaching some kind of dystopia, or it feels like we are every day. It just depends on what kind of dystopia we're going to be in. But on that bright note, I'm going to end this opening monologue here and move into some of the more recent AI horror movies, but not necessarily all of them are horror. And I do want to mention, I guess, a couple of examples before we get into this that I didn't get a chance to rewatch. One, I was higher on than the other. And those are Upgrade and Child's Play 2019. So in Upgrade, you have, you know, it's a Lee Winnell film. And basically, you have a guy who was beaten and everything pretty bad, and to save his life, they try to implant this AI into him, and it kind of gives him superpowers and superhuman strength, things like that. Uh, Extraordinary abilities, I will say. And um, now it's been a while since I've seen it, but it does kind of glorify it in a sense. Not necessarily, but I don't want to talk a lot about Upgrade. I had problems with the tone of Upgrade, and maybe I need to revisit that, but yeah. And then Child's Play is more of one where, you know, it's a remake of the classic. And in this one, you have the dolls are made with artificial intelligence, and one worker basically disables the safety protocols on one. So it's not necessarily AI gaining sentience, but it's kind of unleashing and unshackling an AI. And you get that in something like 
the Mass Effect games as well, but I ended up, I remember really liking the Child's Play remake. I haven't seen it since it came out initially, but I know people are very mixed on that one. I will say those two are probably on the more unrealistic end of the spectrum than the movies I'm getting ready to talk about, but yeah, I wanted to mention those two because those are definitely within that same time period, and I think these have all come out within the last 10 years, and it really is a hot-button issue. Okay, so which ones did I choose to talk about more in-depth on? And the first one is Ex Machina by Alex Garland that I think wasn't released until 2015. Yeah, I think it has the IMDb or letterbox date of 2014, but I don't think that one got released until 2015. The synopsis on this one reads, Caleb, a coder at the world's largest internet company, wins a competition to spend a week at a private mountain retreat belonging to Nathan, the reclusive CEO of the company. But when Caleb arrives at the remote location, he finds that he will have to participate in a strange and fascinating experiment in which he must interact with the world's first true artificial intelligence, housed in the body of a beautiful robot girl. Now, I don't think a lot of people count this one traditionally as a horror movie, but I think it's pretty terrifying and has the bones and the structure of a horror movie for sure. And this was kind of a phenomenon when it came out, and I think it still is. It's definitely one of my favorites that came out that year. And it all starts with the excellent performances from Gleason and Vikander and um, Oscar Isaac. And I think they, because it's basically, and a lot of these are, that I'm going to talk about, are essentially single location or one in, one or two location movies that rely more on the characters and the character development than they do any kind of big budget action or thrilling sequences or things like that. Um, now they do have thrilling sequences, but it's a lot more low key. So yeah, when Dom Hall Gleason's character gets flown out to you know, the CEO's house, you're already kind of uneasy because he's, it's kind of awkward between the two, and there's a lot of tension, I believe, between the two. You have two very different personalities with these two people. And what Oscar Isaac has done, he's essentially created, I mean, he's been playing God, he's been creating Frankenstein's monster. And we find out that he's created this AI that seems more sentient than anything that we've ever seen before and is really kind of crazy and scary if you think about it. But Ava really is this incredible piece of technology. You can only, I mean, your mind can only think of the possibilities if this thing was real. And I think we're closer to that now than ever. But essentially what you have is Caleb is coming down here to do a Turing test, essentially, on the AI. Or um, that's the setup of the film anyway. And Ava is not, as the synopsis said, is not just you know a mechanical person made up of robot parts. She's an android that looks very much like a woman, especially in certain features. Now, she hasn't been completed with all the skin parts and all that kind of stuff, but there's even a very disturbing sequence where, you know, Oscar Isaac's Nathan character goes into the details of her uh, plumbing, let's say. But she, I think she's kind of done that way, so he's not mistaking her for a real person. He knows that she is artificial, all this stuff, but still kind of trying to determine, and the Turing test is going to come up a lot in these kind of movies, but trying to determine if she has true intelligence or if it's just simulated intelligence. A cool thing in this one is Nathan's kind of fitted his house to have different doors with different access. So it's almost like you're in a top secret lab or a building. You know, he's got a key card 
he gives one to his guest, and the key cards only access certain areas that they're allowed to be in or you're allowed to access. It's not like you have free reign. So there's that, but it's just a very much advanced house out here, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So you already have that. I mean, Caleb in this movie, he's kind of isolated. He's there with Nathan, who seems to be a bit of a drunk, seems to be a bit abusive towards his other androids and Ava as well, and seems a little unhinged. But he's stuck there with these two. So yeah, that's a horror scenario as it is. And then you have just learning about what Ava, how she progresses and everything else. Yeah. I just think the cast is phenomenal. They do a great job of selling this idea. The location and everything is phenomenal. The the background about how Nathan did this and why he did this and that kind of thing. And what Caleb is really there for is kind of crazy. And the way this movie ends is pretty incredible. I think the ending is truly what pushes it into horror. And it's not just necessarily like the violent or bloody parts of it. But I think the most chilling part, or there are two chilling parts, I'm not going to get into them and spoil them. Although I feel like most people have probably seen this and most horror fans have probably seen this, but... But there are two different aspects of that ending that just really creep me out. One with someone back at the house, and one with the very ending of the movie. But that's kind of the... I feel like the horror and the fear here is there's someone who can almost... Not just seduce you, but... Because that's really what's happening here between Ava and Caleb is... He has feelings for her, he's attracted to her, and... It seems like Ava does too, but is that real? We don't we don't really know until later on in the film whether her feelings are real or not, but thought provoking to hear or to see that and to feel that. And honestly, some of that comes down to, you know, what if one of these things was out in the wild? What if there was an android out in the wild that could be, you know, that could seduce you, you'd think was a normal girl until maybe you got closer and who knows? It's just kind of unsettling. I'd say it's definitely more unsettling because really in this one, there's only one true AI, but you know, who's to say that more AI won't spring up or things like that. And yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, kind of creepy to me that you wouldn't even know you couldn't distinguish them from a person. So that's where the real terror lies. in for me in this one, and honestly, this is one of the best done. I mean, what Garland does here with this movie is he does, it's just that tension between the characters that's unsettling. It's the whole scenario that can get to you. There's a lot of disturbing factors within this show or within this movie. And yeah, I think that's where this really starts to excel is just how you almost feel like you're there and you're going through what these characters are going through because it's very disturbing in that sense. But I love Ex Machina. I'd probably end up giving it like a nine or so if I was recommending it and saying you absolutely have to watch this. I still think at this point, I think um, in my opinion and my likes of his films, I think Garland has gotten progressively worse as he's went on. Um, I think Ex Machina is the high point, but I really do love the the sci-fi that he sets up and the very realistic, very grounded sci-fi that happens within Ex Machina. And yeah, I think if you sit there and think about it long enough, it could definitely give you nightmares. And I think this is absolutely, could be a horror movie to some. Maybe should be considered more of horror at least is maybe like a third genre. But I do agree with science fiction and drama being there. But I think there's definitely some horror elements. And if you haven't seen it, and or you want to rewatch it, and you don't own the physical media, you can check this one out on HBO Max right now. It is streaming over there. Sorry, Max. I cannot get that straight or keep that straight, but it's probably never going to happen. That's where it is streaming if you're looking for it. Okay, so up next, and this is the hard part because 
this one's listed pretty much solely as horror horror first when I don't think it's really that different in tone with Ex Machina or content, but that is Tau from 2018. This is directed by Frederico de Alessandro, and the synopsis reads, Held captive in a futuristic smart house, a woman hopes to escape by befriending the AI program that controls the house. So in this one, you have my girl, Micah Monroe, and that's probably the reason why I kind of clung to this one early on and really liked it. I will say it went down a little bit on this recent rewatch, but you have her as basically someone who was kidnapped and she's in this house and basically being experimented on by this, I guess you could call him like an inventor or a I don't know, but he's created a house built around this artificial intelligence, and it's called Tau, and that is T-A-U. And Gary Oldman plays Tau in this one, and Tau kind of has many forms. You know, he has the house, he controls everything. There's also like an exosuit robot type thing that, I guess not, an exosuit is not the right word, but is a robot that would um, come around and can, you know, terminate people. All kinds of different uh, robotics and things like that within this house. She's essentially trapped here while Ed Skirin's character experiments on her and tries to perfect a project he's been working on. Now Tao starts off as very much this hard, just basically an AI, you know, not much emotion or feeling or anything like that. He knows that he's forbidden to learn. He's forbidden to get into the books or anything like that. Tao does enjoy good music, though. But when um, Micah Monroe's character essentially blows up this guy's lab and attempts to escape, she gets caught. She has to make a deal with, I think his name is Alex, and basically is his guinea pig while he works out this last project and tries to meet his deadline. Now again here, like with Ex Machina, you have the creator who is essentially abusing their AI and their creation. And, you know, anytime Tao does something he doesn't want him to, he erases part of his memory. Or, you know, erases part of his hard drive. Just kind of, you can tell that Tao is really in, I don't know if I want to say pain, but it really, he doesn't like this happening to him. And, I mean, you could imagine that. You have the same thing in Ex Machina where Nathan's character is very much abusing Ava in ways that we might not know all the ways that he's abusing her. But when it comes to Tao, you know, Micah Monroe is able to forge a friendship with him and kind of a deal. I guess maybe not a friendship necessarily, but kind of makes a deal with him to teach him stuff about music and everything else and answer his questions if he helps her out. So that's the whole setup for this one. And she, it's just basically her continuously trying to escape and get out of this place. I got to say, this is more, it's got more of that thriller vibe to it for sure. There's definitely some horror that happens, but I feel like most of the horror in this one happens early on rather than later in the film. Like, I think it's the reverse of Ex Machina in that stance. But the thing here is, and I think it's the same thing with Ex Machina, is the AI is treated very much as a sympathetic character. These are people that you feel for because they're in bad situations, and their creators necessarily aren't treating them very well. And, you know, there's you get into a whole discussion later about him talking to Julia, who is Micah Monroe's character, and saying, well, don't you obey your creators, the people that created you? And yeah, I guess my main problem with Tao upon rewatch is the dialogue is kind of hokey and bad, and the movie doesn't necessarily go along as I remember. I mean, there's some really good parts to it, and, you know, Tao is almost treated throughout the entire movie like a like a good guy or a victim in this situation. And that's how, and I, I do like the way, 
I don't necessarily like the ending. It's very much overblown and things like that, but I like the way that it ends at the very end of it. But other than that, it's just kind of... uh, I think hokey is the right word for it. I do like what's going on, and I like the ideas behind it. It's certainly not the first time we got, you know, an AI house put together. You can look at a movie I'm going to be talking about a little later with the Demon Seed, or just Demon Seed. Sorry, I keep wanting to call it the Demon Seed. Or you can look at even something like Disney's Smart House. I mean, it's not a new concept, or 13 Ghost for that matter. There's some kind of technological stuff going on in that house, but I do like that idea that the AI is in control of everything in this house, and I like some of the stuff, some of the learning, some of the things as they go along, but I feel like Micah Monroe does not give her best performance here, and Ed Skirin as Alex is uh, not great either, so I think this has come down a lot on for me on rewatch. I still like it. I still think it's a solid movie. I mean, I'd still come in around like a 6.5 on it. I think it's still worth watching. It's just come down a lot since I first watched it. And this one's on Netflix, as well as the next one that I'll be talking about. But if you haven't seen Tao, it's probably worth a watch. But I would watch all the other ones that I'm talking about in this main section first, including probably even Upgrade before I would watch Tao. So that's where I stand on that one. I don't think the implications or ramifications of AI in that one is quite, they're not quite as dire as they are in Ex Machina, which again makes it weird that Ex Machina doesn't have that horror moniker attached to it. Maybe it's the whole prestige thing, you know, it needs to be, it can't be horror if it wants to win an award or something, I don't know. But yeah, that is Tao. Okay, this next Netflix streaming exclusive came out a year later in 2019, and that is I Am Mother, directed by Grant Spatore. And the synopsis reads, A teenage girl is raised underground by a robot, Mother, designed to repopulate the Earth following an extinction event. But their unique bond is threatened when an inexplicable stranger arrives with alarming news. So this cast includes uh, Clara Ruggard, who I don't think's been in much. And then you have Rose Byrne doing the voice of Mother, and Hilary Swank as the woman. And that is her credit there, and she just kind of shows up. But yeah, essentially you have the character of Daughter, who is shown in this environment. We actually get a crawl at the beginning of this thing that shows, or not a crawl, but some text that shows, you know, there was an extinction event, this is how many embryos are on this base, all this kind of stuff. And Daughter has been the only embryo awakened so far by Mother. And you get to see a quick recap of her growing up through the years. And then we get to present day. Mother is worried about raising Daughter and talks about awakening other embryos, and things like that, and the survival of the human race, the repopulation, all that kind of stuff, but wants to make sure Daughter is ready for all that. This is the only world that Daughter knows, so she believes whatever Mother tells her. And, oh yeah, Mother, by the way, is this robot, and looks more like some kind of military robot. Reminds me of like a Neil Bloomkamp-type design on this robot, but... So anyway, you get the gist. She's there to guide daughter. Um, and then Hilary Swank shows up, and it all kind of goes to hell. So I do like I Am Mother. I like that there's no real clear answer as to, one, what happened with the extinction event. It's all very much kind of a mystery. And, and two, I like that there's really a lot of gray area. There's no black or white saying... Mother is purely good, or uh, Hilary Swank's character is purely good. It's just kind of all gray. And honestly, there are signs that point toward neither one of them being that great. So (laughs) I do like that about this movie. Now, what are the 
AI dangers that pose themselves in Mother. Well, again, we don't know going in what caused this extinction event. We assume that humans built this bunker with all these embryo for the robots to raise. But do the robots have certain directives? Are they kind of guided in the right direction or guided in a particular direction to get them to grow up a certain way? Yeah, we don't know. Most of this, like the others, takes place in a single uh, setting. There is a little bit outside of the setting later on. I'm not going to go into any more into that, but it's a really cool facility. And what you see when you get outside is pretty cool as well. The visuals are great in this. And this movie just feels high budget. As far as negatives with this one, I feel like at some point... It's got to be the rewatch effect that's dragging it down for me because I was really high on this the first time around. I think I'm still pretty high on it, honestly, but I don't. I can't think of any specific negatives with the movie because I think it's acted well. I like how the characters develop and go on their journeys. I just think something about the second rewatch kind of drug it down a little bit for me. I still think it's an incredible movie, or a great movie at least. But, yeah, this is kind of the dangers now. Do we do we think the AI took over and destroyed the Earth? Do we think just humanity did it to themselves and now the robots are in charge? We don't know. Um, in this one, more than the other ones, though, it gives a sense of scale to things. And I feel like it's much more in that thriller with a little bit of action in it as well because you do have some of that higher concept sci-fi stuff even if it is more grounded than some sci-fi you've got some pretty cool sci-fi designs you've got a whole world that's been destroyed instead of just you know an ai a single ai causing problems or things like that yeah i don't and I think the main issues here is this is the Skynet scenario, possibly. I mean, this is that dystopic future where something happened to the Earth, whether that was done by the machines or not. And here we are. Yeah, I Am Mother is a pretty complex movie filled with twists and turns all throughout it. I think it's really well made. And it's probably definitely up there. I mean, I feel like people were raving about this one pretty well, or a lot at least, when it came out. And I think I remember it making a pretty high spot on my horror list for the year, or my non-horror list for the year. I don't know if I would necessarily call this one horror. And honestly, I wasn't going to add this one, but I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, that kind of fits. And it is one of those newer AI-type movies. So... Yeah, I think I Am Mother is just a different side of the coin that we see in Ex Machina and Tau. Um, if you haven't seen this one, I feel like a lot of people have probably seen this one. It helps that it's on Netflix and got a lot of buzz. But if you haven't, just uh, head over to Netflix and check that one out. I'd give it around an 8.5. Even coming down on the rewatch, I still think it's a really good movie. Okay, so that takes care of that kind of time period. But now I'm going to move on to a couple of 2023 releases. And one of them is for sure horror. The other one, I think there are horrifying things about it, but I don't, I don't think it necessarily goes there. So the first one is Megan, of course, uh, directed by Gerard Johnstone. And the synopsis is, if you aren't already aware... A brilliant toy company roboticist uses artificial intelligence to develop Megan, a lifelike doll programmed to emotionally bond with her newly orphaned niece. But when the doll's programming works too well, she becomes overprotective of her new friend with terrifying results. So yeah, Megan came out earlier this year and was one of the few movies that I've actually been able to see in the theater this year. And it did get an unrated cut or an r-rated cut i can't remember what it was exactly but it did get that later on i haven't seen that version 
and I'll talk a little bit about that as I go into this movie and reviewing it. Uh, this movie stars Allison Williams, who you will know from Get Out or The Perfection. Didn't really recognize, I don't think, any other people in the cast. But the director did previously direct Housebound, which I thought is a, you know, I think it's a really good uh, horror comedy. But with Megan, this is a situation where Megan was designed basically for profit. Like, yes, it is you helping her niece cope with this, but Allison Williams is pretty terrible in this movie all around. Uh, she, again, exemplifies having zero moral compass and doesn't care about using her niece to get this product ahead and where it needs to be. All she cares about is getting this product out and having the success from it and pleasing her boss and all that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, that... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crappy. You feel so bad for the girl in this who had lost her parents at the beginning of this movie, and now she is with her aunt, who she doesn't really know, and who really doesn't have any interest in children or any interest really outside from her own work. Now, Megan, of course, in true fashion, doesn't work as she's supposed to and kind of goes off the rails and goes on a killing spree. I would liken this much more to like a child's play type movie. But here's the thing for me, and I still need to see the unrated version or whatever R-rated version, whatever it is. And I'm assuming that fills in the gaps. Now, they had to release this thing PG-13 because of all the marketing that went around it, and it was a pretty big success at the box office because of that. So they needed to widen their audience and hit that PG-13. That's fine. But the PG-13 version just feels like there were things cut out from it. Like you would have the setup of this potentially brutal kill, and you would get something like cutting away or something like that. So I don't think the PG-13 is the best version of this for sure. That's the only one I've seen, though, so maybe my opinion goes up on it. I think Megan is pretty sinister in the way she's designed. I mean, she is part um, Chucky and part really like Terminator, so it's pretty cool to have that mashup. She's much more capable, I feel like, even than Chucky is, and I like that about it. I think it's really just a fun movie most of the time. I mean, Megan is... I think what I'm trying to say here is Megan is just kind of goofy and over the top at points. There's one in particular that I don't like, um, a scene with a bully involving an ear that I think is just pushing it a little too far in the camp and ridiculous part of this movie. But other than that, I think it's just a good time. It's a solid movie. I don't think it's anything revolutionary. I think you can have a lot of fun with Megan. As far as the consequences of this, could you think, and this is probably similar to like an iRobot type thing, but could you imagine and just think about having an army of these toys in the hands of your children and they all become sentient? I mean, I feel like we as parents have already failed a lot already when we let our kids watch iPads and all that stuff from a young age, and they're watching all these different videos, and who knows what they have exposure to. That's not really the same level of this, but that is a general progression, I feel like. They're comfortable with technology when they're younger. They want more technologically advanced toys as they get older. And at some point, maybe they're going to request a Megan. I mean, I could see this thing selling like hotcakes for those who could afford it. Problem is, what happens if there's a, you know, a defect in it? What happens if it gains sentience and starts telling your child to do things or goes after your children and you and starts a revolt? I mean, it's all very crazy, but again, it's, it's another scenario or another option you could see going down. This could be the uh, dawn of the planet of the apes to planet of the apes. You know, this could be the way it starts is uh, the Megan invasion, but Back to Megan for a minute. I think the, I think what I want to say with that one is, yeah, I like the performances of Megan, and I think it's a really good movie overall. 
I'd probably come in on Megan without seeing the unrated one at like a 7.5 maybe, maybe a 7. I'm not really sure, but it's around in that range. It is just a fun movie, but it also sets up probably one of the more ridiculous scenarios that could happen in the AI doomsday. But hey, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people are trying to take kids' money all the time or parents' money from their kids by marketing whatever they can to them. I mean, that's a big consumer base because they know their parents are going to buy them gifts. They're going to buy them all this stuff. Yeah, think about being an unsuspecting parent and taking this thing home. And I know Allison Williams in this one has designed also like a an Alexa type thing too. But yeah, very, very interesting take on it. And I think it's kind of its own thing. I think it maybe falls a little bit into the child's play area, but it's not like someone went in and specifically messed with this one like they did in Child's Play 2019. This one's definitely more of she kind of evolved. And that's part of the problem. If you teach them to learn and you teach them to interact and think about a child, a child develops as they interact with others and interact with the world. It's very... I mean, reasonable to think a machine would do the same thing. So that is Megan. I know most people have probably seen Megan by this point, but I think it does fit into this category. All right, up last is another 2023 release that I had heard good things about from reviewers. Haven't really seen many people in the communities and on Letterboxd and stuff that I've seen watching it or talking about it. It's not really a horror movie. I would say there's some horror elements involved, but I just had to talk about this one because it is so interesting. And that is The Artifice Girl. So this is directed by Franklin Richt, and the synopsis is, A team of special agents discover a revolutionary new computer program to bait and trap online predators. After teaming up with the program's troubled developer, they soon find that the AI is rapidly advancing beyond the original purpose. This one, and shout out to Lance Henriksen, who makes a cameo in this movie. I, I wouldn't say he's a cameo. It's split up into three acts, and he is in the third act. But what we have with the Artifice Girl is not something that's going to be for everyone. We have a web developer who kind of becomes... I mean, he's taken in by this branch of the FBI, I believe, and find out that they've been working with this guy. And he has been working to out child predators by using kind of an entrapment scheme. Turns out he did it with this AI that he set up. And it makes it more real. It lets him catch these predators he feels like he can't send these to the police because they don't do anything about it. And he's just trying to stop children from getting hurt. I'm not going to say he has the purest of motives, but, or is the, you know, the nicest person, but he really is truly trying to save children from being abused and sexually abused and things like that. That's the basic setup for this one. And honestly, this takes place in three different settings and three different time periods. In Act 1, we're in the FBI place where this special unit is talking to him, and they're basically just in an interrogation room. And all of this story unfolds just through dialogue and just through talking and revelations. And I found it just so fascinating, and it kept my attention all the way through. And then... You get to a second act, and I'm not going to go through and spoil this, but there's just three different periods, three different locations where you're just getting a lot of dialogue, and you're learning about how the AI is advancing and kind of getting little snippets and pieces of the AI's life as well, who is named Cherry. And I think Tatum Matthews does a good job of playing Cherry in this one. In fact, I think the whole cast does a pretty good job. But the Artifice Girl is very fascinating because it's not horror. It's not even close. Like I told you, it's just mainly dialogue playing out in some rooms. It's very much like a low-rent sci-fi situation. But 
it the implications and the things that are going on with Cherry as she develops and things like that and things that Cherry has to deal with. And just think about that. If you're gaining intelligence, you're built for a single purpose. That is your purpose. You're programmed not to want to stray from your purpose. But here we are. Your purpose is pretty skeezy. I mean, it's not a life that anyone would want to live or something anyone would want to go through. Yet here is Cherry in this situation. And man, is it just fascinating especially that third act with Lance Henriksen in it. It's it's just captivating to me. I just love the back and forth and the dialogue and all that. And this is honestly probably going to be pretty high of my non-horror movies for the year. Again, I don't think it's enough to push into horror, but it's just so interesting. I think if you have any love for sci-fi or um, AI and things like that, I think this is a pretty good movie, and I think you should catch it. I'd give it around an 8.5, I think, and I'd say, you know, go and see it. I rented it, um, so you can currently rent it right now. It might be streaming somewhere, but I think this is going to be one you're happy to see if you like this type of movie. Now, as far as, like, the AI, I think it plays out similarly to something like Ex Machina in its basic structure. I mean, that's the type of movie it is. It's not, and I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to spoil anything with this because yeah, I, I really don't want to spoil it for anyone, but I think we have similar implications that we have with Ex Machina. Just this thing might not have the ill intent or anything like that yet. Yeah, it's, it's just one you need to check out. I don't think anything necessarily new in the AI genre, but pretty intriguing nonetheless. And before I head out for the episode, first and foremost, I do want to say, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on AI and these AI horror movies. What are some of your favorites? What scares you about AI? What do you think is overblown about the fears with AI? I just am interested to hear if I'm the only one sharing this kind of fear or if there are a lot of others out there that feel the same way. But I'm going to go ahead and I took this opportunity. This wasn't one of those newer AI films, but it is a horror movie and it is involving AI and it was on my watch list. So I'm going to do a little watch list roulette for Demon Seed from 1977. You can find this one streaming on Tubi. It was directed by Donald Camel, or Kamel, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but I like the tagline, which is, Julie Christie carries the demon seed, fear for her. And the synopsis is, a scientist creates Proteus, an organic supercomputer with artificial intelligence, which becomes obsessed with human beings, and in particular, the creator's wife. Now, with Demon Seed... I think it's very interesting. I think I watched it at a bad time. I don't think I should have watched it after I watched all these other modern AI takes. And one part of that is just because the computer and the equipment and stuff are so primitive. And it's almost laughable compared to the dangers of the AI presented in the other movies that I've been watching before that one. I try not to let that cloud my judgment, though. And... I will say, this movie is pretty crazy once you get to a certain point. I mean, you have this scientist who is Alex and his wife Susan, and they live in this house that has basically been turned. I mean, this guy's a scientist. He lo- he's turned his house into a computer terminal. There is a computer there, or a program named Alfred, who is supposed to take care of them, and there's a huge security system and all this other stuff. Very cool premise. But again, the tech is so old and outdated. I think what's crazy about this one is he's built a little bit of everything there. You know, there's a robot with one hand and a wheelchair. And he's built this supercomputer, this AI called Proteus. And Proteus is being used, and you'll see this is definitely old school computers because you'll walk in and takes an entire almost what seems like a floor of a building to house Proteus 
but you can tell that Proteus is, and I think this is the main problem of when Proteus goes off the rails, is that Alex built this thing to try to cure diseases and specifically leukemia and try to find a cure for that kind of stuff. But the company that he's associated with wants to use it to mine you know, ore and minerals from the sea or do this other stuff that might be harmful to the environment. And as Proteus becomes more aware, he might have a problem with that. Or, you know, I say he, but it's really just, I, I don't know. I don't know how you treat an AI here. But anyway, so that's where a lot of this horror comes in at. And Susan is left in this house as Proteus takes over it. And that's essentially how the movie plays out. And she's kind of fearing for her life because she understands what's going on eventually. And no one can really help her. And like the synopsis said, Proteus has taken a kind of a liking to Susan. And I'll leave that there. But you can probably tell from the poster what goes on in this movie. I will say, it's kind of boring in parts. Even though there is the threat of this computer, I mean... It did keep me going through it, and it did keep me entertained, but there are just stretches there where it's like, okay, this is kind of dull, this is kind of slow-paced, this isn't really moving very fast or moving very well. And I mean, really, you could see that in a lot of movies, but I think that's where it kind of falters, because it's very interesting at the beginning to try to figure out what's going on or see what's going on in this situation, and then it kind of gets down, even though it's, you know, very frightening what's going on on the screen, it kind of does just devolve into a little bit slower pace, a little bit more boring. But the ending is absolutely bizarre and off the rails. And, uh, man, I, (laughs) I wasn't expecting what was going to come out of that ending, And I think it's not afraid to go where it goes. It really is, you know, it's going all in on this premise. Which I would say the premise isn't necessarily a new one overall, but I think the details of the premise are pretty new and fresh and interesting. Yeah, this is just a wild movie. And if nothing else, I would recommend you stay for this one just to see that finale. But There's nothing else really remarkable about this. You get the feeling that it's kind of a middle-budget movie with average acting and average overall sci-fi premise. But when you get into the, like I said, when you dig in a little deeper, there are some newer ideas going in there. I don't know if they're great ideas, but they certainly are different. And yeah, I... I enjoyed it. I mean, it's a good thing, I think, that it ended on the way that it did on that note, because the ending is definitely worth watching. I think I'm still going to come in at like a six on this one. I can't go any higher right now. Um, I think too much of it was just drugged down and had poor pacing, but once they finally get there, it's totally worth it. I would recommend, definitely if you're interested in that, stream it on Tubi. There are, if you haven't seen the rest of these movies on this list, I would say go see them first before you see Demon Seed. But yeah, if you're you're having trouble getting through that one, definitely stick it out to the end. But with that watch list roulette, I'm going to wrap up this AI episode. As far as what's coming next, I can't really give you a good indication. I'm hoping to finally get that Alfred Hitchcock ball rolling, but that all is dependent. So I will, uh, you'll definitely have to wait and see for that one. As far as plugs, my, the first episode of the Screaming Chronicles recently released, and that is on the same feed as Screaming Through the Ages, and that's where I'm going to dive into non-horror stuff, including TV, um, and then some anime and video games, and Uh, tokusatsu, all that kind of stuff. Basically anything and everything, it's just going to be a variety style show that happens every month or so. It's not really on a particular schedule, but definitely let you know when ones are coming out and promote those. And then also on Horror Movie Podcast, where by the time you hear this, I'm hoping our 
newest episode has dropped. We did the original episode with the original host over there of Horror Movie Podcast, and hopefully our latest is out by the time you hear this one. If not, it should be shortly after. And then also Phantom Galaxy, I'm over there and have done some stuff. We The most recent episode, I think, was a Phantom Video one that Dave and Nathan and I did. So those are all the podcasts. You can follow this podcast over on Twitter at Screaming Ages or on the public Facebook group. You can send me an email at ScreamingThroughTheAges at Yahoo.com. And yeah, I think that's about it now. Um, you know, reach out to me wherever and... I'm always open to discuss just about anything. So yeah, just always give me your feedback or whatever you would like to see or changes you'd like to make. Very open to everything with that. But with all that being said, until next time, keep your eye on your favorite podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson. <laughs>